Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Mike Cole, Commercial Director of Bristol Zoological Society. We're going to talk about something we've never talked about before on this podcast, and that's the difficult decision to close an attraction. But trust me, it's a positive one, as we share the vision for Bristol Zoo Gardens and the Wild Place Project. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Mike, thank you so much for coming on to Skip the Queue today. It's lovely to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, we are recording on a very snowy March day, um, but Mike and I are inside in the warm, so we're quite happy. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got, well, still got a bit of snow outside at, at Wild Place. We had loads yesterday and had to try and shovel that all off and get the get the site open ready for the visitors. So our, our visitor services team were out moving water around site and shoveling snow, but it's it's all pretty much melted away now. So it's still quite wintry looking out there, but yeah, not 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 so not so slippery. And there you go, the visitor visitor experience team, they're the heroes of the day. Right, Mike, we're gonna start off with some icebreakers. So um I wanna know if I could gift you a month off tomorrow. And you could travel anywhere in the world. I know, right? Please, let's <laughs> let's put that out of the universe. Um, where would you go? So when I left university, I actually travelled around Southern Africa. So I spent some time in Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia, South Africa. Really enjoyed my time there. Worked, I was teaching there and worked on... Um, I worked in a rhino sanctuary, did a number of things out there and always wished, you know, always wanted to go back. You know, I always thought I'll, I'll be back all the time. But actually, you know, I never t- sort of got the opportunity to, to head back there and then, you know, had, had children. You, you need a length of time to get out there. So, yeah, got, if I had a, a month, I would definitely go back and sort of re- retrace those steps and just see how much things have changed over that t- time period from sort of 2000 and well, 2000, 2001 to sort of where we are now, sort of 20 odd years later. So yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that and take my time and, and travel those areas. I'm a massive fan of sort of the culture over there, but also, as you're probably not surprised, the, the wildlife over there. So yeah, it'd be a great chance to see how that's that's changed and transformed. Oh, amazing. What an experience. Would you, um, would you go on your own or would you take your kids? Um, I think I'd, I'd, <laughs> I think I'd probably go on my own. To be honest <laughs> with you, with you, Kelly. My, you know, I think as much as I'd love it, my little boy loves an adventure, Charlie. I just think, yeah, sometimes you know what I mean. It's, it's having to think about them while you're you're trying to discover the place. Yeah, they might be getting away a bit. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's funny because we've always said, you know, if we were lucky enough to have children, they would be part of our travel adventures as well. Now I'm like, yeah, maybe not. keep your eyes on them as well as what's going on <laughs> great okay if you were in a karaoke booth what is your karaoke go-to song oh probably um bon jovi's living on a living on a prayer yeah. that. you can imagine that with, with after a few drinks <laughs> microphone in hand thinking you're a rock god belting that one out <laughs> In it there. So yeah, it's a classic. Uh, classics, but a giddy. It's a crowd pleaser as well. I feel like if you go, if you're going to do karaoke, you've got to do a crowd pleaser that everyone knows the words to, and then like yeah. they they carry you along, Mike. Absolutely, and also sing, sung terribly as well. You can't go into karaoke singing a song that you can sing. It has to be something that you 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 literally can't hit any note on, and that that's definitely one of those for me. We could do karaoke together. Like. <laughs> we're on we're on the same level of karaoke skill here. Right, last one. Um. Can you share with me one of your irrational fears? Oh, cool. That's a, a good one. Actually, mine is always, 
I would say it's about other people letting people down. So I think when you sort of move up and you're in leadership roles, you know, you're aware of what you can you can do, but it's always that sense of or fear of have I done something? Have I let other people down? You know, I, I can take let myself down, but it's that, that letting other people down. So I, I do think it is. You know, I've, I take great pride and passion in in supporting teams, and you know, if I feel I've let them down, I think that's the thing that hits me the hardest yeah. if I'm honest would you say because this is one of my this is one of my biggest challenges because I think I'm like a certified people pleaser so I, I desperately one of the things that I took at the beginning of this year was I need to be careful about things that I say yes to because I put myself under a massive amount of pressure when I do that mm-hmm. and because I don't want to let people down all the time so I've started to kind of just take a bit of a step back and go can I do this I really want to do this, but can I have, do I have the capacity for this? What's this, what pressure is this going to put on me this year? Um, but that is one of my biggest things is, is, is a fear of letting people down because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and, I, and I'm the same and you do have to end up setting boundaries and it's, it's only you have to set those boundaries because by saying yes too much and doing too much, ultimately you are going to let people down. You just don't have the capacity to, to do to do a good job. And I think we're all guilty now everyone's guilty of taking too much on because you, you know you just want to do a good job but actually yeah it's that setting those boundaries and and actually understand that it's okay to say no as long as that there's a reason for that yeah absolutely boundaries is the word of the year I think thank <laughs> you for sharing that um, right what is your unpopular opinion that you've prepared I, for us I know and I, I didn't know where to where to go with this one to be honest because I've got quite a few and this one and I'm, I'm going to apologize now because I've got many Parisian friends and we work with some <laughs> here as well but I just think that Paris is a little bit overrated, Kelly. And I know, and I know, and so I've got, like I said, I've got so many friends from 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 France and Parisians, and you know, they've tried to convince me. I've been there a few times, but it's for me, it's just it's expensive. I always seem to end up with bad service there. I got I had my wallet stolen there once. I suppose that set me no. off on a on a bad foot. And then seeing some of the you know those sort of images, the sites that you've been you know been expecting and reading books when you're younger, and then when you get there, they're just not quite. Or for me, and for me, just wasn't quite what I had expected. So yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be you know it's going to be an unpopular decision and an unpopular popular thing to say but I just don't get Paris and the romanticism around Paris and maybe I'll be convinced as I go in later into life and somebody will take me there and I'll see it for what 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 I should but yeah that that, that uh, yeah Paris is overrated Kelly Paris is overrated statement um I really like this one Mike I don't know how unpopular this is going to be interesting I just got back from a conference actually where there was a Parisian speaker who was really funny he does he does a comedy show in Paris about Parisians and their culture and and he said yeah we are rude we are openly rude <laughs> and and we and we celebrate in being rude and I thought well okay yeah at least you know own own it yeah, yeah. and maybe I don't get that maybe maybe I should just accept that they are rude and and, and just live live with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. go with that expectation and then, I mean I don't again that's a very sweeping statement and, it, and that may not be my opinion just putting that out there that's the that was what the the comedian was telling me but um yeah, yeah, I, I will add to it to any Parisian friends of mine watching this. I love you all. <laughs> yes. Mirabelle from Convius will be listening to this, I'm sure. And I adore <laughs> you. So this is, again, not my unpopular opinion. <laughs> Thank you. That was a good one. Well, let me know what you think, listeners. Let me uh, let me know if you're sharing Mike's. Um, how, how do we get Mike's unsatisfactory, <laughs> unsatisfactory opinion of Paris? Yeah, my one star trip, <laughs> my one star trip advisor review of Paris. <laughs> Okay, right. We are. I'm. I'm really glad that you've come on the podcast today, Mike, because the, we are going to talk about something that we've never talked about on the podcast before. And um, 
that's about actually the decision to close an attraction. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sometimes we're talking about attractions opening and, and all of the amazing things that they're doing, but this time we're going to talk about an attraction closing. So um, tell us a little bit about your background and then we can start to talk about, you know, what your current role entails and, and how that decision. Yes. I've been in visitor attractions now since around about 2010. And then earlier, you know, through through my studies, I, I studied leisure and tourism as well, but really got back into visitor attractions um, after after a break um, with with actually with BP for in their graduate scheme for a while. And I, I, I launched or relaunched Bristol well, what was then Blue Reef Aquarium, but but rebranded and relaunched Bristol Aquarium in, in Bristol, um, which was a great one for me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, launching a new product, new brand, um, and a really nice you know, new, new attraction for, for Bristol. So, yeah, growing and developing new uh, attractions, certainly for me. And then, and then on there, I um, I was uh, brought in chief executive of, of Varnas Vale, which is a it's actually a cemetery in Bristol, but we was was you know scheduled to close. And we um, got some heritage lottery funding to reopen that as a heritage site, you know, events as well going on there. So we were the first people doing events in a in a cemetery as a heritage site, as a museum. Uh, and we found a sustainable um sustainable um model for it financially to actually make it you know pay for itself so this this heritage site we'd, we'd saved secured re, rebuilt with the heritage lottery fund um, money and, and really a great success story of developing a new another new visitor attraction in bristol as well then over to western Burt, the national arboretum um supporting forestry england in the, in the development and growth of western Burt, the national arboretum and some great new developments there so always growing you know, new commercial opportunities within visitor attractions. And then this opportunity with with Bristol Zoological Society, which is very different, of course, because I hadn't closed a, a visitor attraction before. But yeah, that was that was what I, I moved over to Bristol Zoo, Zoological Society to do, which although I say it's about closing um, Bristol Zoo, it, it was a lot more than that, of course. So it's the closure of Bristol Zoo Gardens after 186 years. But actually, the future and the positivity for the, the society that brings because we also own a, an attraction called Wild Place Project and the sale of the proceeds from the sale of Bristol Zoo Gardens that's going to be moved into you know plowed into um, to the Wild Place Project with a brand new zoo for Bristol in effect um, and really reimagining what the zoo of the future should be um so yeah that's 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 where it's sort of gone from some growing new visitor attractions to closing one and developing a, another one yeah, so it's come full circle, isn't it? We started off that quite negatively, didn't we? But actually, there's some really incredible opportunities that are coming from this experience. So we're going to start kind of at the beginning part of it, though. So like you said, Bristol Zoo closes September 2022 after 186 years. Gosh, absolutely phenomenal. What was the decision behind it? What was the reason for that happening? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of those decisions. I think if you you were to ask the trust now, they probably should have taken earlier in, in my view so for a number of years Bristol Zoo Gardens had been you know its revenues had been um, reducing and then in decline so it had been losing money you know for a number of years over the over the, the decade before it and it's it's a bit like that that region beta paradox have you heard of that effectively you know if something's not quite bad enough you'll keep going right. and actually what the region beta paradox says is essentially a theory that sometimes the worst things are 
the better the final outcome will be because you actually act on it and you actually make a change and you do something about it. So the recovery can be a lot quicker from a much worse situation. That that worst situation, of course, was COVID. So that really hits the charity reserves in effect. And really at that point, that decision had to be taken that they could no longer take the losses from Bristol Zoo Gardens and that the site itself was crumbling. <laughs> so the amount of investment that would have been required to restore Bristol Gardens as a, you know, a visitor attraction that, that wasn't falling effectively, you know, the, the infrastructure was crumbling. Um, so that it would have taken a huge amount of investment to keep the site going in a space that had reducing visitor numbers year after year after year. Uh, so that was kind of the financial and commercial decision to close it. But the other thing, of course, is that Bristol Zoo Gardens was a a 12-acre site, so quite a small inner-city zoo. Welfare standards amongst animals have changed from where we were, you know, 186 years ago into what size enclosures animals need for their welfare now. And Bristol Zoo Gardens, um, you know, great space, but unfortunately just was too small to be able to provide the levels of welfare standards that that are required now in, in you know, in, in, in zoology. So, you know, we've, we're over here at, at Wild Place, 10 times bigger than, you know, the site at, at, at Bristol Zoo Gardens. And the ability to develop enclosures far bigger than we would able to be able to do at, at Bristol Zoo Garden. So it, it wasn't just this commercial decision that you know, we had to had to close the zoo. It's also, you know, quite rightly a, a well an animal welfare situation. And what we can offer here is much better space and the chance, you know, with the money from that, the chance to develop a brand new type of zoo over here at Wild, Wild Place, a zoo of the future, uh, where um, animals that we work with are involved in our conservation projects around the world. So it's not just about putting animals in for entertainment. It's about actually the purpose of those animals in terms of, you know, conservation and their conservation status. Let's talk about that then, because um, I, I'd love to know kind of what the vision is for what you're now kind of building on and that kind of positive aspect of it. Yeah. And I, I think we'll start off. It is about um, the the animals that we have all in the new Bristol Zoo. And that the new Bristol Zoo will be developed with the sale of Bristol Zoo Gardens over the course of the next five to ten years. And the enclosures that that will be, be here at first, you know, much bigger. So the animals in a, in a more natural environment so almost as you're walking through the gates you're arriving into somewhere other that you're almost on an on-foot safari so you know the traditional type of zoo and another controversial thing I'll say is I'm not a big fan of traditional zoos so I'm, I'm not a massive zoo fan certainly you know the modern zoos and the way we look at it is, is certainly the way to move. And that's making sure that, you know, there's much bigger enclosures that you're stumbling on those animals. You're not just looking from fence to fence to fence, that you actually have to do a bit of work while you're here to see those animals on foot. Um, so, you know, this on foot safari, there's going to be the theme that, that sort of overrides what goes on here. The species of animals that we have here are going to be involved in the conservation projects that we have around the world, be that Africa, you know, Philippines, um, you know, we have a number of projects ar- around the world. Uh, and we're going to have the species here, are the other species that we're involved in, in those conservation projects. So actually, this is just going to be an insight into the world of field conservation, our, yeah. our, our in-situ work. So in-situ means the work you do out in the field on those projects. So this is going to be an extension of those in-situ field projects that we have out there working with the same species of animals. We're also going to have a conservation campus. So within that campus, we're going to have university students who are in, involved you know, in direct conservation. 
conservation work, they're going to be here on site. So our visitors are going to be able to walk through that campus as part of the visitor journey. So those students are going to be there interacting with our visitors. It's going to have a breeding center. So they're going to see the breeding work that we, we do, you know, both here that supports the conservation work around the world. So it's that whole, what we do in the field, what we do here and the breeding center, linking that all together on this on-foot safari. So something completely different to, to a standard zoo, I would like to think. What a phenomenal experience for the guests that's coming along as well, because the opportunity that they, you know, they could bump into students that they can talk to about their education path and what they're doing and the conservation aspects there. That's that makes that visit, you know, even better than it would be just if you are just going to visit a standard zoo. Exactly that. And what we realise is that if we want to save wildlife and our vision at Bristol Zoological uh, society is to save wildlife together we realize that we can't do that in isolation on our own it has to be together it has to be changing behaviors of the people that come onto the site and you know a large part, proportion of those people that come on site are young people you know we're a zoo we attract young people so it's changing the behaviors of those young people for them to make correct conservation you know correct positive conservation decisions and you know you're right you talk about them, them engaging with those 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 students as they're on site we want them to become adventurers for the day when they walk in so they almost become you know a conservation hero as they leave the gates they come in as a visitor become an adventurer and leave the gates as a conservation hero and that's that's what we want to do we want everyone to come 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 away with this this impression of what they can do at home to make real world changes you've so sold one it example. to me you've done it. I'm just, I'm just thinking, <laughs> you're gonna come you're gonna come and visit like, you just give you absolutely sold that into me mike i'm there Excellent. i want to be an adventurer <laughs> we'll <laughs> Sorry, probably yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get every we'll get everyone wearing you know those indiana jones style hats as they as they come in so they they feel the part you know we'll get our um our public engagement a public engagement team coming up with some really exciting ways to make them feel like they're suddenly out on their in situ adventure. Perfect. I, I can absolutely rock that hat. And I'm so sorry I interrupted you mid flow, but I was like, gosh, yes, I'm I'm really feeling this. And I was like, the buzz that there is around this is 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 quite, you know, tantalizing. Exactly. Um, and it and it all relies on, you know, once we get that that the, the sale of Bristol Zoo Gardens, then we can really start to, you know, make this vision become a reality. And it, it you know, it's it's much bigger than just Bristol. It's you know, it's this this global conservation emergency that we're in that that we'll feel like we're a part of. And it's great that it's in our city, you know, Bristol is known for being quite you know different in the way it looks at things we're, we're we're a great city we're an ingenious city and it's going to be great to have a, a zoo that does thing a little bit differently a bit like bristol tends to like to do definitely <laughs> yeah the ethos of bristol is definitely different um this is amazing so it, a, an incredible vision that you have there genuinely there is an excitement there i can feel it as you talk about it and, and the passion for it I, I just want to go back a little bit though because i guess um it's been quite a difficult decision yeah. to, to make, you know, from a financial perspective anyway, and from a, you know, a, you know, from a heart perspective, Yeah, you're going to have a lot of team um, that have worked at Bristol Zoo for many, many, many years. And I know you weren't there from the start of this decision-making process, yeah. Mike, but, you know, how did you go about communicating these decisions to the team and what, and what was their reaction? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I wasn't there when the initial announcement that the zoo would be closing, you know, I know that it was an incredibly difficult decision, both making that decision, but also how that was communicated with staff. And the staff were clearly the, the first to to be told before it was made public. And you think you've got a number of staff who have been there 30, nearly 40 years at, at that time. So it's dealing really sensitively, you know, with, with all the staff, but especially those that have been there that time. And then you've also, unlike, I guess, other attractions where, 
you probably don't have as much attachment to to the product. Not that, not that I'm calling the animals a product, but you know what I mean? In a museum, you, you don't quite have that same attachment. We've got keepers that have been working, say, with yeah. the gorillas for a, a decade. So they've seen them grow up and, and work with those. So you can you can understand how, you know, you know gut-wrenching it must have been at the time for those stuff and how sensitively this, the, 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 this had to be dealt with because, you know, it, it was it was a decision that clearly nobody wanted to take but ultimately had to take and it was it was communicating that now I was there when the actual final dates of the date closure for Bristol Zoo Gardens was announced the, the, the 3rd of September being the last day so I was there and we, we brought everybody into you know a big town hall and and told all the staff that, that you know that 3rd of September was going to be the final day and there was some you know you, you go through this this curve of emotion this acceptance cycle and that that first stage is you know it's real despair amongst a number of the staff there and and working and developing those through that then there's that acceptance and then realization of how we do that clearly there are you know you know as we move from two zoos to, to one zoo there were some people that you know that, that had to move on unfortunately unfortunately but the good thing is we managed to do most of that through voluntary um redundancies so it was very you know very and i'm talking ones or twos where where people were actually made redundant the voluntary um scheme meant that a lot of people were would made those decisions themselves luckily uh, and and i guess we're we're kind of still just on the, the, the rise of that curve now so even now it's Although there's this great positivity around the future, there's still people, you know, still trying to to get used to having moved over from from Bristol Zoo Gardens and uh, and over to the Wild Place, and we'll continue to work with those people as well to feel make them you know, make them see the vision of the of the, of the new Bristol Zoo in effect. Yeah, because my next question is general public and what their reaction was, and I guess it's a very similar reaction. I I, I think. Absolutely. When you when you're a zoo, which is at the heart of a you know a heart of a city or a society that's a heart of a city, then it, you're right. It's not just that the staff that work there. Visitors have been visiting the zoo. You know, I I remember I was there, you know, throughout the the, the final closing weeks, and we had people travelling from not just around the country, literally from around the world to say their goodbyes from Bristol Zoo Gardens. You know, people that have been visiting for seventy years. I had one one talking to, and just you know, they're you know they're and you know, I guess more stoic. You know, understanding the reasons why it was closing, but still that you know that sense of nostalgia, and that's what came out in those last few weeks. That sense of nostalgia, what what the zoo had done for the city, really, and these people as well. Um, but actually, what I did get was this overwhelming sense of people understanding. Actually, you know what it is time for. Bristol Zoo Gardens to close. It is too small in terms of welfare, and you know these animals in these 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 enclosures that ultimately were just too small for them. And, and people got the sense that actually time moves on, and what was right for a city centre zoo back you know in the eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds is now not what's right for you know modern you know the modern world. So there was that great sense of acceptance at the end. The good thing is that Bristol Zoo Gardens will you know within our plans be uh, reopened as a, a development which. Was We'll still have the parks and gardens open so people will still be able to come and enjoy the parks and gardens i think that's the most important thing is what people said we still want to be able to see some of the old monuments we still want to be able to see some of the old park well they were going to be able to do that which is which is really exciting they'd be able to see the, the old monkey temple you know that's a number of those um, items are listed 
Uh, the entrance building itself is listed as well. So the entrance building is going to be turned into something called the Clifton Conservation Hub. So there'll still be conservation work. We do a lot of um, conservation work around the Avon Gorge and Downs wildlife project. So Avon Gorge and Downs is a, is a you know, site of scientific and conservation interest. Well, the hub of that's going to be within the entrance building when the development's finished. So conservation work and wildlife you know, conservation and will still go on at Bristol Zoo Gardens in Parks and Gardens and then in the wider um, Avon Gorge and Downs. Uh, it's really good to hear that as well. And I guess like one of the things that we always talk about from an attraction perspective is how many memories are made at a visitor attraction, regardless yeah. of, of whether it's a zoo or a heritage, you know, a park, etc. So, you know, it's lovely that the reaction from people is we still we still want to be able to see these these places because they've got great memories for us. You know, we've taken our children there. We'd love to be able to go back there ourselves. And, you know, that's wonderful. And I think on the other hand as well, what's really good is that that the message around conservation and welfare of animals is obviously a very positive one and very clear one that you've been pushing out because that's what people have accepted about the change that's going to happen now. So that's a real positive that that feeds into the vision for for the new attraction. Absolutely. And it's like I said, we, we ran a campaign at the end called The Zoo and You, or You and the Zoo, I think it was. And it was really just people sharing all those memories and all those pictures. And like I say, understanding that actually, you know, walking with a, an elephant or whatever like they used to do is not something they can do now. But, you know, celebrating that as something that was done in our past and, and, and you know, being a part of that. But understanding that actually, yeah, we, we do have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about moving, actually, while we're on that subject. So, We've talked about the kind of the financial and the emotional decisions that have gone around this. And we've talked about communicating to the people and and, and how, you know, from a team perspective and, and, and from the general public. Let's talk about the animals, because I can only imagine that this is a logistical nightmare. How do you move a zoo? You know, how do you move? How do you move a giraffe? down and, the and, road you know how how does this even happen yeah I mean, we'll come back to how do you move a giraffe i guess but i mean the first off you know there are literally thousands of individuals at bristol zoo gardens and a, 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 a number of those animals um are coming with us but you know the, the, the majority of those are going to other institutions so i think the first thing to explain and i, I get this asked a lot um and you know i'm i'm still relatively new to zoo so it's something that i'm still learning and and it's that that we don't actually within within zoological societies around the, the country in europe and, and the world we don't own our animals they don't belong to us they're coordinated through through a network of of of, um, of institutions you know iaza european institute zoological of zoos uh, and iaza have ep coordinators those coordinators coordinate those animals all the time between institutions because they're involved in the breeding programs so you'll get breeding recommendations and you'll move the animals will be coordinated by those coordinators from the receiving you know, the, the donating zoo to the receiving zoo because of breeding recommendations that have been flagged up so animals are always moving in between um, institutions um anyway that well, those member institutions so we, we don't own those animals that said of course this was a number of animals moving all in one go or a lot of animals moving one go some of those animals are still remaining at bristol zoo gardens while we build their new enclosures at wild place and we'll move directly from bristol zoo gardens over to wild place so the gorillas for instance will be at the bristol zoo gardens for a little while longer yet until we've built their enclosures so once those coordinators have got those recommendations of where those animals go, there's then that the, 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 the paperwork has to be done, those medical inspections. Certain animals, depending on the size, have to be trained for a move. So we have to train those animals 
before they can move to be able to go if they're going into crates to be able to comfortably go into those crates and the trains to be able to do that. So there's actually arguably at the closure of a zoo, the, there was more work for the keepers than ever before. Uh, and the coordinators doing all of that work, moving them on. And we've worked, moved on a large portion, literally thousands of individuals. Admittedly, some of those those thousands of individuals are insects and fish and things like that. So that, <laughs> that kind of bumps the numbers up a, a bit. But you can understand there's still still incredible amount of work that has to go on between both the, 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 the society giving and, and the one receiving the, the animal between those. So, yeah, so all of that work goes on in the background, the paperwork. Brexit, God love it, does mean that if you're moving something over to Europe, instead of having just to do one you know, piece of documentation and paperwork, each country around Europe would require its own documentation. So instead of doing one for Europe, we've now had to do one, an individual one for all of the countries. So the paperwork minefield that we, we now have to do if we're moving them out of the UK. So a lot of us, we've tried to keep within the UK just you know, for, for, for those reasons as well and then obviously the medical checks on those animals you, you can't move them if they're not healthy to to, to move as well so the, the, the medical stuff so so i guess when you say how do you move a giraffe i guess then that adds even more logistical implications or what, what are a giraffe about five meters tall so i guess avoiding low bridges mm. on a giraffe would be <laughs> the, the, the most important one but also again even with a giraffe that same process of the coordinators finding the um you know, finding the right breeding recommendations. You've also then got to have the right uh, transport. So specially licensed transport companies that are licensed to move animals uh, would have to be found. I guess I've seen the crates that they moved. I think our um, giraffes here at Wild Place, they came from Amsterdam, I think. And the crates that they obviously move in are specially designed crates for giraffes. So there's, there's probably not many of those out there that you have to try and coordinate as well so yeah those those big crates and the, and the animals have to be trained to go into those 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 crates comfortably and, and oh. those moves happen so yeah we, we do have a one of our animal team does have a presentation on how to move a hippo and it is, it is the most interesting <laughs> presentation of, of logistics that you can you can possibly imagine i think we need to see this presentation yes. we need to pop it in the show notes how to move a hippo yeah <laughs> Um, I, it, that's blown my mind. This, I've got so many. There's so many thoughts about that. Like I think I, I hadn't actually considered how many animals would be involved in breeding programs. So I think my my mind always goes to pandas, and it, because it's one that's talked about quite a lot on the news. You know, we always talk about panda breeding programs. But yeah, I hadn't really considered the the fact that the zoo doesn't. You know, it cares for those animals, but they're not the, the owners of those animals. And there's yeah. so many different. There's so many different places and variables involved in 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 where they go and what they do next. It's crazy. Yeah, and we we also obviously, I mean, our keepers have to visit those institutions that those animals are going to to make sure that they're happy as well. So it's not just the coordinators. So we visit all of those those centres, you know, and we review and check and make sure everything is right for those those moves as well. We wouldn't let an animal go unless we were absolutely confident that the receiving institution, you know, had had everything in place for them. Percentage wise, so how, how many animals are coming across to the wild place, and how yeah, many it, are, are are kind of going off and and, and going to different places? So, as a, as a percentage, it's it's quite high, but that's because within our breeding centre, a lot of the ectotherms, insects, lizards, fish are coming across into the breeding centre. So, obviously, that makes a large proportion of those. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when people think of animals, they always think of the the large, cute, you know, those 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 iconic charismatic animals but actually that's a very small proportion of the numbers that 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 are held in in zoos so of those animals so we've really only got the gorillas i guess you you would say moving across immediately over to wild place 
and largely because, as I said right at the start, we want to be working with um, those species that were involved in our conservation projects around the world. So a lot of the animals that come to Wild Place will be from other institutions where we're, they're, they're animals that we're working in those areas that are critically, in, you know, critically endangered, that actually have a conservation value to be in zoos. They're not just there for enter, entertainment purposes, like I said. So, yeah, very, very few of the animals. The gorillas being the, the prime example of one where we are working with those in the in the field so and you know endangered so we are bringing those those across so a lot of them will not come from bristol zoo but from elsewhere i guess you need the time to be able to build the enclosures as well for them in a responsible way and then and this is the next you know this is the final kind of piece of the puzzle is planning for the development like how are you kind of developing the existing wild place site yeah. to accommodate all of the new things that you want to do and it, it is like a massive jigsaw with a with a with a hundred thousand moving parts of trying to make sure that we we move the right things at the right time open up the right areas at the right time to make sure that the visitor flows work that the infrastructure that's required because obviously as we open up large areas of wild place we know there'll be an influx of visitors Mm -hmm. you need things like car parking toilets cafes all of those sort of secondary things that make sure that the visitor can have a great day it's not just about building enclosures as well so it's been a really big piece of work we're currently doing some master planning work we're into more detailed design on that master plan now which which really starts to map out all of these sorts of things visitor flows the, the conservation model of where everything is going our, our species list has already been defined so we know which species are coming across and we, we've published those so things like within the central african forest which will be our first area the reason we clearly need to put the central african forest area in first is because we've got the gorillas <laughs> that we need to move across they need they need a home to go to conservation campus is something we really want to to get in in the early stages as well because we want to get those students here and engaging and with the breeding center in there as well to get those animals all off site from bristol zoo gardens as well so some of this is dictated by the logistics of it and some of it is dictated by the need to improve you know the 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 infrastructure to deliver the visitors and you know one of our core visions is to be sustainable you know revenue sustainable so we have to be able to have the secondary spends from the visitors coming through because that's the money that's plowed back into the conservation work in the field and we we do give a a proportion of that money to our direct conservation in those in those countries And, and our native work as well one of the big pieces of work we do is is native conservation so crayfish uh um is, is a, p- a big part of the work we're doing invasive species another one so a lot of native work and the great thing about wild place unlike bristol zoo it has you know it has semi-ancient woodland it's got wetlands so we've got the chance to talk about native woodland and communicate native woodland in a way that we didn't you know maybe we, we didn't do so much of it at bristol zoo gardens it's such an exciting opportunity i was thinking earlier when you were talking about the animals and the logistics and the paperwork and and, and all of those things i was thinking there's going to be attractions professionals that are listening to this going oh, i don't want mike's job mike's <laughs> i just i'm going to stick to my theme park I'm going yeah, to stick yeah. to my heritage site. I'm going to stick with my museum artifacts because that, that that all seems a lot simpler. But yeah. actually, <laughs> when you started to talk about the planning yeah. and the master planning and how, you know, you're having to plan things, you have to think about things now that might not be developed for like five or 10 years down the line and how that all works together. That's really exciting. That's it, a massive it is career exciting. And, you know, I was brought in to, you know, to work on the commercials of closing the zoo and, and looking at some of the future stuff. And, and I'm sure there'll be the more detailed planning paperwork stuff. We've got teams working on that. So it's, it's definitely not 
me you know there's a number of people the animal teams i mean they've done an incredible job with these 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 animal movements i mean i would i, I wouldn't even know where to start <laughs> with some of the some of the things that they've been been doing they've been absolutely incredible the whole team so yeah i you know i'm i'm a very small cog in a in a very big machine here <laughs> a very important cog though mike for sure don't <laughs> don't don't play it down thank you i i i've loved understanding about this process and I, I feel real genuine excitement about what you're developing down there at the world place I think that's going to be a, an absolutely phenomenal opportunity for for the for the whole of the region to come and get involved and um, yeah. I'll definitely be traveling down and, and seeing how that's developing over this so thank you for coming on to share sharing on the podcast today and um, we always ask our guests if they have a book that they'd like to recommend our listeners um it can be anything it can be something that you love from a personal aspect it might be something yeah. that's kind of you've, you've liked from a business perspective we've had all sorts of, of suggestions <laughs> recently from um marketing books we had a marketing book on the last podcast and right. we've had cookbooks from Abbey at Castle Howard so yeah what have you got for us yeah so no it's funny you you asked this question I think so you know I'm I'm not a massive reader of of books Um, so I was doing my MBA uh, about three four years ago and I was thinking when you asked that question which management book and even when I was doing the the management um, course you know all the management books and theories that are out there Porter's theory you've got one minute manager how to how to influence people and whilst I was doing that, I was thinking of the book whilst I was doing the MBA that I read and thought to my child, Charlie, who was about six or seven at the time. And I remember reading it and thinking, do you know what? This is possibly the best management advice that I've ever given. And I'm reading it from a children's book to my seven-year-old child. And that's um, a, a, a book that we will, will all know. And it's Oh, The Places You'll Go, which is a oh, Dr. Seuss book. Do you remember it? Lovely and it, book. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, even when I was reading out some of the quotes to, to Charlie, I was thinking, actually, this is what management books are trying to summarize, but never seem to do it. You know, they try 300 words to do it. You know, quotes like, you're on your, your own and you know what you know, and you are the one who'll decide where you'll go that you're in charge of of your destiny uh, destiny and things about there that it tells you to make mistakes except you don't because sometimes you won't um i'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too games you can't win because you'll play against you but actually you're going to be the one holding you back in that as well so there's loads of amazing management advice in other places you'll go and you know it's something that i recommend that everybody gives to their child when they're going off to secondary school or even off to university as well because there's some there's some incredible quotes in there you've got brains in your head you've got feet in your shoes you can steer yourself in any direction you'll choose and I think that's kind of how I've lived my career up to date is, you know, through through the advice of, you know, the, you know, other places you'll go and making those decisions uh, yourself and, and sticking by those decisions. And, and the world is there to explore. So it comes back to your thing about where would I like to spend a month while Africa and going back there? Because that's the place I'd love to, to go yeah. again. But you're not taking Charlie with you. So, you know. So no. no. <laughs> well, he'll be on his I mean, he'll, he'll have read the book and be on his own journey by then. Uh, bless him. <laughs> I love him. What I really liked is that you were quoting that book. So that um, I know how many times you've re- you've reread that book to your son, which is lovely. Um, and I was smiling. It's actually brought a little bit of a tear to my eye because one of my really good friends has bought that book. Um, she bought that book for my daughter when she was oh, wow. born. And, it, yeah. and we haven't, we've not read, my daughter's 18 months old. It's not going to go in so much. <laughs> it's sitting on her shelf next to her bed. And I look at it every night. It's kind of the last thing that catches my eye before she goes in the cot. And it. And when you said that book, I was like, oh, yes, that's just such a great book. So yeah, I, yeah. listen, listeners, if you, um, as ever, we give a copy of this book away. So if you would like to win um, a copy of it, head over to our Twitter account, retweet this tweet, uh, Twitter, um, this episode announcement, 
moment and you could be in with a chance of winning Mike's fantastic book. <laughs> it could a... be my that could be my controversial opinion that oh the places you'll go is the greatest management book ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe more people would agree with you that on the than the Paris one, Mike. <laughs> a slightly less controversial. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and sharing that. Um, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Um. Where can we, where's the best place to find out all about what's happening? Yeah. So if you go on to our, 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 either, you know, our websites for, for Wild Place and the, the old Bristol Zoo Gardens website still there and look at our vision and our future and all of the information on, on the master planning work that's going on there and the vision in the future are there. And please, please come and, come and, come and visit us and see us here. And, and, and we're, you know, we're right at the start of the journey, but over the next five to 10 years, we're going to really transform this space. I don't think you're going to have any problem getting any of our <laughs> listeners to come and visit Mike. Thanks again for joining Great. us thanks Kevin. thanks for listening to skip the queue if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review it really helps others find us and remember to follow us on twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned skip the queue is brought to you by rubber cheese a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers you can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.